there this show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress the language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business what you got i got nothing today this is going right. to be a, a performance art show. It's going to be a show of silence, only with the bookends of our theme music. <laughs> One half hour. And <laughs> John's, John's... I'm pre- practicing. He was pretending to be silent. <laughs> I'm practicing. It's a, unusual to hear either of us be silent, or to not hear us be silent, I guess, would be the right way to That's put it. It's a quadruple negative. <laughs> That's right. All right, it's Bloodthirsty Vegetarians, show number... Is this 20? I think technically we're up to performance 20. Or no, cool. show 20, performance 22, right? Excellent. Because we have two silly shows that weren't counted for some reason. Wow. Five more shows and it's our silver anniversary. <laughs> yes, it is. And you know, I, I meant to actually mention this to you in an email, and we haven't done it in a while, but we need to say our names more often, you know, when the show comes around. So this is Rich Wilgus. And this is Babalu. <laughs> John Tallarico. Vic Ferrari. Hey, you just <laughs> wasted Elvis Costello. And we are Bloodthirsty Vegetarians, coming to you live on hard disk. Time shifted. <laughs> from the Fairfield Glassworks and Tape Dispensary here in scenic... Fayetteville, New York. Yeah, well, I was hoping you were going to make something up. No. A fiction, as it were. No, I can't think that quickly. I've got like a mixture of coffee and wine in my system right now. Yum. I'm up, I'm down, I can't figure it out. You're all around. Hey, I just wanted to say thanks to a friend of mine named Ted at Keyline Lithography. He did uh, some, he printed some business cards for us. John did a brilliant design. And one of uh, the people I, I made friends with through work had offered to uh, print some cards for us. And he gave us an absolutely slamming deal. You can't, can't even believe it. how good a deal he gave us. And uh, If it was any cheaper, it would involve uh, favors. It would involve guns and theft, but... Anyway, we'll just say it was a great deal, and he does great work, John. What do you think of the work? I think it was excellent. Very crisp. Good job. And John's worked in the printing industry before. He knows a little bit about printing. Yeah, and then it even tasted good, too. Yum. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, their website is www.keylinelitho.com. We'll put a link to it on the website because they were so kind to us. So if they're out uh, in L.A., the L.A. area, so... Freight might be an issue, but if you want to do what, get them to quote your printing work, why don't you uh, check out their website and give them a call? Yeah, and we'll have that on the, the show notes as well. Yeah, excellent. Good. So we're going to kick it off with a tune. Hardcore. Hardcore rock and roll in your face. We played them once before, a little band called Numira. And what's this one called, John? Dead to Right. All right.
to ride. Catch you did to ride. When your time has come, but can you believe in all the strength where you need it? rock and roll show enough yeah and in a in a next life or in a former life i think i was a uh a big hair band lead singer you well you got the hair for it you definitely do yeah well it's shorter now but he's wearing women's makeup right now too he's, <laughs> he's got a very glam look about him that's right i got the uh, pink lip gloss so i want to talk about <laughs> <laughs> let's gloss right over that <laughs> let's talk about grannies you wanna grannies yeah i'm not into them Okay, why don't you tell us what kind of wine we're drinking first, and then I'm going to talk about grannies. Um, this is a Wolf Blast Cabernet Sauvignon from South Australia, yellow label, 2003. I'm I'm uh, partial to the Australian wines. They're so. doing a lot of great wines, aren't they? Mm-hmm. I think, at the risk of sounding even more pretentious. Well, you are pretty. We are pretty pretentious, yeah, actually. I think on a scale of one to ten, we're a thirteen. <laughs> now, it, um, from what I've heard in Australia, two thousand one, two thousand two were the the good years. Two thousand three wasn't so good, but I'm I'm okay with this. This is good. Yeah, I don't mind this at all. The organic wine we actually cracked open right before we went to tape with this show had turned to vinegar. 
sparkling vinegar even yeah really strange um the organic wines have been very inconsistent we've only had one good bottle out of the four i think that we've opened and it doesn't make sense to me it's grapes you make wine do what you normally do except don't use grapes with pesticides how hard can this be i don't get it i think there's a strong correlation with organic uh wineries and sucking i don't know i see no reason for it but anyway i'm gonna be uh i don't know i'm gonna be a little more careful in choosing my organic wines in the future yeah Maybe never. <laughs> we did have a good one. We did, and uh, I don't remember the exact uh, the exact uh, vintner that was, but uh, we'll go back and look in the records, and maybe we'll risk trying them again someday. Yeah, see if they can keep it up. So I want to talk about grannies. What is this deal with grannies? That you well, I saw about? a thing on CNN, I don't know, Thursday at work on my lunch hour, Grandmothers Against the War. It was a bunch of, obviously, grandmothers protesting quite vehemently. Yeah, protesting very loudly. Well, are they grandmothers of soldiers, or are they just grandmothers in general? Some of them are grandmothers of soldiers, but they're all grandmothers. You know, not necessarily, uh, they don't necessarily have family fighting in Iraq. But what I found interesting about this was that, not that grandmothers were protesting at all, but that CNN was finally showing a legitimate war protest and giving it real segment time. And this is just typical corporate media behavior. And what I mean by that is, George Bush's popularity has been waning pretty seriously for the past year. Say it ain't so. Yeah, no, it has. And, you know, a year ago, the media wouldn't have, certainly wouldn't have had the courage to show a war protest because that network would have been called liberal, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's bad enough that that rotund AM radio ninny um, has people convinced that the media is liberal when, in fact, it's, it's anything but. I mean, if you look at all the Sunday morning talk shows, nine out of ten hosts on those shows are radical right-wing conservatives. I mean, there are, there are no liberals in the media. Well, I I would probably say that, if anything, they're, they're middle of the road, and some of them are left-leaning, some of them are right-leaning. Who? In, in the, in the um, if you're talking about radio broadcast, radio is definitely heavily skewed right. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, now uh, right-wing ideologues would claim that, uh, that radio... Free America or whatever it is with the guy from Saturday Night Live on it, uh, Al Franken. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they're on it's like... It's not necessarily equal time, but... <laughs> but they're, they're on four stations, you know, yeah. across the country, you know? And Limbaugh's doing something like 47 million listeners a day, so yeah. I, I don't and think that's... Yeah, and he's just a cheerleader. Time. I mean, he, he and Fox News are just cheerleaders for the radical sort of ridiculously right-wing uh, ideas that are coming out of the White House these days or, or have been since that guy was, quote, elected, unquote. Yeah, I think that... that what we're seeing, though, is that if someone who is extremely far right, and if they look at someone who is essentially in the center. And who would that be? I want to know who is in the center that's on the on the media right now, because I, I don't see them. Are you talking about, like, the, the network anchor heads? Someone, yeah. I want a name. <laughs> well, Brokaw was actually probably in the center. Well, he's gone now. Well, the guy that I thought who was pretty good from NBC was John Chancellor. I thought he was really good. He retired about, I don't know, six or eight years ago. But in any case, I, I, what I wanted to, to, to articulate here is that this kind of thing wouldn't have even happened a year ago. You know, Bush has been waning uh, his popularity. His numbers have been going down. So now it's okay to show a war protest on the war. Mm-hmm. If you had been watching the typical corporate media, and by corporate media, I mean CNN, Fox, you know, all the big, uh, to find truth you these mean- days— Coca-Cola, Disney. 
Yeah. Well, they own the parent yeah. companies, you know, GE, whatever. Mm-hmm. And to find real news, you really have to go to the independent media to find people who are actually doing any reporting. I find truthout.org is a great source if you want good political uh, political coverage. But what I found slightly that slightly angered me about this piece was that I thought it was great that they're showing a legitimate war protest with women who were articulate and angry and really making their point in a serious way. And they were given a serious amount of time, a three or four or five minute segment on uh, CNN. But yet it had to be grandmothers against the war, right? I mean, it was Because you, you can't fight against that. Yeah, but more importantly, grandmothers aren't a threat. Come on. They cook for That's us. Right. They make cookies. They're grandmothers. They can't be serious. I mean, they didn't show any real war protests. And not that this war has protested as actively as, say, the first Gulf War in 89. I did some... I was traveling and visiting a friend in Boston, I think, at that time. And there were a variety... We and ourselves actually protested and walked and marched in the streets of Boston. And it was really interesting because I had never really done anything like that before. I just don't think you're seeing that so much. I think people are uh, a little more mm, lax, a little more... um, What's the word I want? Apathetic. Apathetic, yeah. And I don't know why. Well, I think I know why. I mean, the 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 media machine that supports this administration has done such a good job of convincing people from day one that Iraq uh, had something to do with the 9-11 attacks, which it didn't. Well, I think there's that. And then there's also the fact that all of our representatives are doing a horrible job standing up for their own positions, even if they ever had one. They don't have any courage. No. So, they, they're, they're beholden to their corporate masters as well. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they, they take all of these legal bribes from the giant corporations in the, in, in, campaign, in the form of campaign contributions, and they're, they're beholden to those guys. Poor grannies. I thought it was great that it was shown at all, right? I mean, it mm-hmm. shows that there are people protesting, and it sh- it, it's, a, it's an opening. Now we may – now that CNN had the courage to show that – Probably the most balanced out of any of the networks, and I still think their coverage is very skewed, by the way. But um, maybe we'll see more of this now. You know, again, Bush is uh, taking some hits on this one. He's still uh, he's still claim now, of course, that there is a sufficient amount of evidence showing that the intelligence was lied about and that we really had no real reason to go to Iraq, other than right. the normal reasons that uh, we we invade other countries. But um, And it's also clear now that we have a vice president who is for torture. You heard about that one? Oh, well, that's been going on from the beginning. It's just finally been uh, reported. You could have, again, you, if you went to a, a website like Truthout, you would find that these kinds of things have been reported for quite a while. Um, yeah. I think Most that's, people that's... would have dimi- dismissed them because they would just say that these small websites are just quacks or something. But, yeah, of course. Sure we do. Yeah, that, that's just basically been my, my take on the administration for a while now, probably for the last year and a half, is that it's been really clear to me how mean just plain out mean mean spirited and and uncaring for humanity these people are well <laughs> does the word hypocrite mean anything anymore i mean right what are these people all about uh, pro life sure we're against uh, abortion but mm-hmm. it's okay to kill thousands of innocent uh, Iraqi children, for example. I mean, we always hear about death tolls, how many U.S. soldiers have been killed in Iraq, and that's awful because they're there for all the wrong reasons. You know, they shouldn't be there. And, uh, of course, we care about American lives, but we also care about the innocent lives that are being killed, the the collateral damage. And I'm holding my fingers up in quotes. Yeah, know? and I think that there's something like two extra zeros added to, to the American death toll in collateral damage. I think that there's 100,000 or some odd uh, Iraqi... It's a big number. It's certainly five figures, if not six. Yeah. And what have we had? Twenty seven hundred Americans killed, and in- I think uh, two thousand. We we passed the two thousand mark not too long ago, so yeah. we're probably you know approaching twenty one hundred. And now Bush is playing the 
a new card. You know, now it's not we're not there to save the Iraqi people. We're not there for Iraqi dem- democracy. We're not we're no longer there for because he had WMD because, of course, you know, he didn't, mm-hmm. which is interesting because he certainly did at one time. It's interesting that there were none there. I thought by now the administration, quite frankly, would have planted some, to be honest with you. <laughs> no, and I'm not making a joke. I mean, this kind of stuff goes <clears> on all the time. But I mean, how it would have been very easy for them to do that. And then the media would have just repeated it as if it were true, because that's what the corporate media does. They're the, just the uh, the cheering section for um, this particular administration. But um, now he's playing the, well, to be opposed to the war means he's playing this very hard. You know, to be opposed to the war, you're damaging our troops. You're, you're somehow, um, what's the word I want? You're um, seditious. <laughs> seditious. You're being disrespectful and seditious to the troops if you oppose the war. And uh, during the first Gulf War in 89... I saw an episode of some uh, daytime TV show, and there were um, four wives on the show, one of whom had a, a husband serving in Iraq, and all these people in the audience that were, were taught to hate war protesters by the corporate media said, um, well, how can you do that? If you're, if, you, if you're opposed to the war, you're, you're not for the troops, whatever that means, for the troops. Well, it's the same argument if you're either for us or against us. Yeah, that's too binary, and of course, there's uh. way too much gray area in the world for that to be true. But, you know, for simpletons like the people who run Washington right now, that's the only thing they can have. But this woman had a great comeback. You know, if you're not for the troops, you're against the troops or whatever. And she said, I absolutely support the troops. How can you say that? My husband's over there serving right now. And then she said, except I support them to live, Mm -hmm. not to die in some ridiculous scheme that's basically whose only purpose is to get Halliburton more uh, contracts so that they can get more money. Yeah. I mean, I have a hard time with a lot of the stuff that's been going on in the war. And and one of the things that I that I keep bringing up to people is I don't think that there was enough thought put into the war to even say that it was because they wanted Halliburton to, it's obviously Halliburton's getting a, a huge windfall from all this stuff, but I wouldn't think that enough thought was put into it ahead of time to say, we're going to do this so Halliburton can get the contracts. Well, you know, if you ever read any Noam Chomsky, I don't know if you have, but he's done a lot of research on U.S. foreign policy and what he believes are the real reasons for it. And he draws crazy amounts of parallels between U.S. foreign policy incursions in other countries and U.S. corporations getting gigantic contracts as a benefit. So he just quite openly makes a statement now that U.S. foreign policy incursions are done on the behalf of corporate America. They do it so corporations can get these giant contracts. And if you look at all of his evidence, it's hard to say this isn't true because for every um, uh, U.S. immoral and illegal U.S. foreign policy uh, action, U.S. Uh, corporations benefit wildly, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I he just, may be wrong. He's I, a human. I just believe, I mean, I, I certainly believe that what's going on is that, that that's the downside or that's the, uh, the upshot of it. You do this, you, you, you go into, to a major uh, country, you destroy lots of stuff and it has to be rebuilt. Yeah. And, and who's, who's, who's going to get the contracts? Who's going to get the contracts? That's always going to happen. So that's always going to be the, the result. Yeah. But why? But I don't think we... the thought was put into it. I think. Oh, I absolutely think it was. I'm okay. Then I agree to disagree. <laughs> I mean, I'm just looking at the the people who are running this. I think that they went into this saying, "Oh, this is going to be a slam dunk. We're just going to get a lot of, you know, rah 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 support. We're going to get into the 90th percentile, 90th percentile for for support. It's going to be the the first time any administration's got this much support and we'll be able to rule the country for the next 8 years." But it didn't happen. But if they were listening to their intelligence, they wouldn't have gone into Iraq because all this is doing is creating more anger in the Arab world. And this is going to increase. That's just common sense. Anybody who thinks about this is going to know that this this incursion into Iraq 
was going to create more hatred of the United States, which is in turn going to lead to more terrorism against the United States. So um, for them to ignore that was such an obvious conclusion. It, it seems to me that they had to do it on purpose. And I would argue, along with Chomsky, that it was done uh, so U.S. corporations could get gigantic contracts. I mean, if we wanted to make the Arab world our friends, why wouldn't we be giving all the rebuilding contracts to Arab contractors? And the simple answer is we're not. Well, we certainly didn't go in there saying we want to make the Arab world our friends. We want, the, want to make them our slaves. <laughs> well, why wouldn't we want maybe to make them our friends? Maybe they're, a slave is a hard term, but I'm they're saying— They're taking over our airplanes and crashing them into buildings. I mean— The the point is we don't want to—I mean, that was what I'm saying. The administration doesn't want to make them our friends. The administration wants to make them— productive for us well it all boils down to what's under the sand right yeah how did all of our oil get under their sand in the first place that's what i want to know i don't know but our ships keep going there yeah they do well anyway we don't need to belabor this point anymore we can talk about the uh the iraq war some more in the future there's something going on for a while so we got plenty of time there's apparently no uh pull out planned and more innocents are going to die so i want to talk about cd prices you know, you go into stores and these CDs are just exorbitantly priced. They're just crazy, crazy expensive, yep. right? Thirty, forty thousand dollars a piece. I know it's crazy for it's a like box they're... set, at least. Yeah, when I get a box set of Led Zeppelin, it's going to cost you at least three, four children. Exactly. But what I want to talk about are these independent artists that are charging like fifteen dollars for CDs. What do you think about that? How do you feel about that? Well, I know that a lot of the money that that they charge for CDs, like. Uh, from the major manufacturers, major labels, is because of all the advertising that goes into it, marketing, distribution. Clearly, it's all not, of that stuff. None it's, of it's the printing. Yeah, and clearly, it's not manufacturing because I get a free CD a week from AOL, right, in my mail, and they're probably pressing those CDs for this, mass producing those CDs for about the same amount of money, or maybe a little less since they're doing more more volume right. than a major label. So clearly, if AOL can give me a CD once a month or once a week. Yeah, there's probably sub-penny costs in materials. Yeah, yeah. And so clearly corporate um, gigantic labels have a lot of money in marketing and, and other, other things like that. Yep. So sixteen ninety nine, seventeen ninety nine, while it is... Um, but even still, sixteen, seventeen ninety nine, probably half of that is cost. The rest is probably profit. Yeah, no, that, that's an exorbitant price, sixteen ninety nine for anybody's CD. But these independent artists, and I've had opportunity to go see two of them recently. We've played their music on the show, mm-hmm. and if I'm not, I know one of them was certainly getting fifteen dollars for a CD because I paid for his. Seth, and um, <laughs> I believe uh, the other artist I saw two weeks ago was getting fifteen dollars for CDs too. And I've been involved with a lot of independent artists and recorded, you know, a bunch of CDs. And those guys are getting 10 and 12 bucks for their CDs, you know, when they play out and they have a little stand, a little booth at the club for their CDs. I think $15 is just high. I, I think I think it is, but I, I can almost understand why they're doing it. There's why? Perceived value. Explain. If, <laughs> why for you say perceived value? <laughs> perceived value. I mean, if, if someone goes into a, a store and gets something for $15.99 day in, day out, or if they go online and they buy something day in, day out for fifteen ninety nine, and then someone says, I've got this great music and I'm going to sell it to you for three ninety nine because that's really what it's worth. I mean, that's what they're saying. That's what it's worth, three ninety nine. You sell something for three ninety nine, it's not a lost leader. You're saying, This is what it's worth. And they say, Well, I don't want to buy something that's three ninety nine. It's probably it's crap. Cheap. Yeah, it's junk. But you, you raise it up to fifteen ninety nine and you're automatically saying it's exactly like the stuff you're gonna get in the store. It's the same quality, but you know, different artist. Well, could you be more perspicuous? Perspicuous? <laughs> How many syllables is that? Perspicuous. Oh, I'm just being pretentious. Could you be more clear? 
group now. <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, perceived value may be um, one of the reasons, but I mean, look, they're independent artists. They don't have the resources that Shania Twain has, right? They, they, they don't have the studio. They, they don't have all the stuff that Shania Twain has. No, they don't have anything that Shania Twain has. <laughs> but I mean, Shania has access to the, simply the best studios in the world, a husband who's a world-class recording engineer. There's producer. that. I forgot about that. Yeah, good old Mutt Lang. And... The simple fact is most independent artists aren't going to be putting out a product that's as good as the product Shania puts out. So I don't expect independent artists to put out a record that is, say, of the same order of quality as a major label, a major label release of a record like Shania's. For me, it's about the music. It's about the song. I mean, are these guys good songwriters? I don't care if it translated into the recording that well because I know that they don't have a lot of money to make a major label record, right? So at the end of the day, I think that 15 bucks is just a little bit high for an indie artist to ask for a CD. I mean, that's really where I'm going here. I mean, yes, there may be some perceived value, but how do you feel about the actual cost, the $15 oh, I, cost? I, I totally agree that it's too high. I think the problem is not with the indie artist uh, charging that much. I think it's with the major labels setting the precedent. But an indie, an indie artist can sell their CD for what they want. Well, Sure. <laughs> yeah, so why aren't they doing it? I mean, look, I know what CDs cost to make. With freight, if you buy a 1,000 CDs to your door, a finished CD with a nice color book probably costs two bucks. Mm -hmm. So they're making, what do you do the math? What is that, $17, $18? Yeah, and, and I've, no, heard, I've, heard a joke, of, John. I've heard a lot of times where, or a lot of times, I heard, a, I think it was two shows where there's someone on another podcast, I'm not going to name the, the podcast, who actually did work for one of the, the uh, major labels mm -hmm. and has talked about that and has talked about how much everything is marked up and how much of a profit. And, and essentially, when it comes down to it, the executives at the label said, well, we're going to charge this much because we can. That's yeah, it. But they're finding, I mean, what, what's the, the big argument is the reason people are downloading music is because costs are prohibitive you know major label costs are prohibitive right and there's, so, there's a lot of reasons for it i mean that's one of them the other let's reason just say that's one of them yeah. but now in, in the people part of the the contingent of people who are complaining about that are independent artists right and yet now they're going and charging the same amount of money and there's no one in the world who wants independent artists to be successful more than me but come on i think 12 bucks is plenty that's that's yeah. making 10 bucks on a cd that's a you know if if every music store retailer made that profit margin on the guitars and cables they sold they'd be thrilled yeah you know? well it's it's definitely you know misguided for them to be doing that but you know i can totally understand it i think that what they should probably be doing is focusing less on printing those cds and selling them at their gigs and to, and they should be focusing more on other distribution models like individual tracks on websites or you know, who knows, selling stuff through our website or, or through through our show, going yeah. on podcasts. No, that's great. But at the end of the day, artists have canvas, painters have canvas, and recording artists need to record and make records and put out CDs. I mean, that's what we expect. And, and yeah. you're right, maybe that model should change. But I mean, well, we I expect, think it is changing, though. We expect the little, you know, years ago, it would have been a black thing with grooves, and now we expect a silver thing with little little holes in it. Well, one big hole in the center and a lot of little holes you can't see that only lasers can see. Differently reflective areas. Yeah. Yep. So I don't know. I just I would just implore independent artists to you know go for a little bit lower pricing, like ten or twelve dollars. I mean, I'll be happy to pay that. I mean, I was a little bit shocked when I saw fifteen dollars for a CD at the last two indie shows I went to. I just I just think it's a little high. Yeah. Well, and and the other thing is they're probably looking at other different models. I mean, one of the models for pricing anything, not just records is you see how many you can sell and 
they're not going to be selling in the same volumes that a major label is going to be selling. Of course. So they have to make up some of that money somehow. And if they're going to be doing things at a loss, then they have to decide whether they do that, do it at a loss or if they do it. um, Well, if they do it at a loss, first, they're going to figure out if they can do it at a loss. But if they do it at a loss, are they doing it for marketing purposes or are they doing it at a loss because they just didn't price it the right way? But I mean, widgets are widgets and profit margin percentages are percentages, right? I mean, if you're getting an A mark on an item, if you if you bought it for three bucks and you sell it for six, that's an A mark. And these people are clearly getting way over an A mark. Most retailers would be thrilled with an A, a mark. I'm sure gigantic merchandising behemoths like the W store. Well, smart. Walls, walls ass something. I don't know what it is, but um, they're not getting anywhere near an A mark. And these guys who are selling CDs for 15 bucks a pop, you know, if they were getting an A mark, that would be that most retailers would be thrilled with that. And again, I'm happy to to buy a CD for 12 bucks, but I, I just think $15 is a little high. Eh, yeah. That's all I, I have to say. I, I'm I'm wondering if, if uh, Apple's going to open up their their store so that people can get into it a little bit more easily instead of having to, to go through a, such a, a process. People can just sign up with them, upload their stuff, and then take profits off of it, you know? Well, that would be great, and hopefully they'll do that. Would love it. Yeah. So we got another tune, don't we? Yeah. This yeah. is... Yeah, what? PBS. Huh? PBS. Ponders, Banks, and Shaw. We played uh, something by them, I don't know, a couple months ago already, mm-hmm. which featured Jeff Coffin of Bela Fleck and the Flecktones playing uh, soprano saxophone on it. And this one, I believe he's playing a little flute on it. What's it called? Feathered Tears. Yeah, let's check it out.
Very, very mellow, very pretty, very uh, very nice. Yeah. And once again, that was Jeff Coffin from Bela Fleck and the Fleck, uh, Fleck Tones on flute, adding a nice uh, flavor to that song, don't you think? I definitely agree. It reminds me a lot of the style of music that the Dixie Dregs used to play like in the 80s. Everyone... It, 
there was almost a formula to a Dixie Dags, Dregs record. There'd be the normal fusion-y kind of guitar, bass, guitar, violin kind of fusion-y uh, music that they would play, and there would always be one nylon string classical piece that Morris played. There would always be one country tune, and there would often be one mellow tune. And this yeah. song has the same flavor that a song called uh, Night Meets Light has. Um, it's a beautiful song. I'll bring over the CD and let you listen to it sometime. But yeah, it's this great song called Night Meets Light. And I mean, that could be renamed Night Meets Light. And it, it has that song. It evokes that kind of imagery, you know? Yeah. Actually, you reminded me of something I wanted to take issue with. Don't give me that look. I wanted to take issue with um, the, the naming of something country tune. What would you call something that's a country tune? How would you define something as country? Well, um, these particular... Well, first of all, the Dixie Dregs wrote almost entirely instrumental music. So this particular... Uh, the, the kind of country tunes I'm talking about involve another phrase that Steve Morris doesn't know what it means also, he, uh, called something chicken picking. You know, a lot of guitarists refer to this sort of style of country kind of... playing as chicken picking and i've even seen steve morris on a video saying i don't know what it means but here's what i think it means when i do this <laughs> you know and he would do it and it has that sort of country just flat picked sort of bluegrassy kind of vibe to it you know yeah it's the same thing where you don't know what it is but you know it when you see it yeah well <laughs> i mean pornography thing. if you if i were to play gina lola breakdown or one of the more famous dixie dregs tunes it would you would say country. This is written in the country vein, in the country genre, you know? Yeah. Well, the reason why I ask is because people, well, some people have said to me, you don't like country because I've, I've said there are some things that I don't like. And I said, well, there are some country songs that I just love, but I only call them country songs because I think they've already been categorized as country. I think of them more as almost like a cross between, well, not blues, but they've kind of got that, that mellow blues feel and folk. You know, well, I we don't like labels, right? We already I, talked I about that, but can't I can't stand it. Well, that's I why think, I brought it up because yeah. country it bothers me. Country, you know, the thing that someone says when someone says country, I think you know, talking about tequila and dropping clothes, but I don't think necessarily that country has. And the reason why I bring that up is I heard a song today, um, I think it was. Tequila makes her drop her clothes, or tequila makes her lose. <laughs> is that her a clothes. real song? I think it's a real oh, song. I think I've heard that. Yeah. Oh, and and I'm thinking, yeah. If someone said, "Is that the kind of music you like?" No, but I like good country. I'm thinking Johnny Cash has done some stuff that falls in that line, but Johnny Cash has done some stuff that has nothing to do with that line of country that really just rips your heart out. Yeah, I definitely hear what you're saying. Country now has become so watered down in pop. I mean, the, what, the music the Eagles were writing in the 70s is more country than what a lot of the country artists are putting out now. Right. It's very crossover. It's very pop. And by pop, I mean, you know, next we're going to hear Britney Spears doing something that sounds country or, or we're going to hear Shania doing something that sounds like Britney Spears. I don't know. I mean. And I think she's already gone that way anyways. But. She really has. <laughs> you know, she's gone in a, a very pop uh, direction and it's selling her a lot of records. That's for sure. As yeah. if as if Mutt Lang wasn't making enough money from Pyromania. That Def <laughs> Leppard record is still making him probably five or six figures every year in royalties. You know, he needs to uh, make more of these because he's a songwriting duo. He writes a lot of Shania. They co-write a lot oh, of the songs, so he has a lot of the publishing as well. In addition to getting producers' fees and engineering fees, oh, the the Mutster and getting to have sex with Shania Twain, um, <laughs> the Mutster also gets uh, the publishing uh, the publishing royalties from a lot of the music because he co-writes half of it. So do you think the sex part is actually in a contract somewhere? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> next time I see him at AES, I'll ask him next question. Issue two. 
Yeah, something that we wanted to talk about, but we're all like forty minutes into the show. So Jeez. we're gonna we're gonna quickly talk about it. <sighs> I really hate to. I really hate to do it at forty minutes, but maybe I'll bring it up and see how it goes and and we'll do a to be continued. Anyways, last week Rich gave me an assignment. And the assignment was to to watch a film. And that film was The Station Agent. Great film. Phenomenal film. And, and I'm going to say I totally agree, and I'm glad that you told me to watch it. Well, I made you watch it. You, you, twist, <laughs> you twisted my arm and other parts, and I said, I got to watch this thing. Actually, the thing was, I saw the very end of it, probably the last 25 minutes of it, on IFC one night, and said, very, very intriguing character. So Yeah, and I happen to own it on DVD yeah. since it is one of my favorite films of all time. So I lent it to John, and that was yep. his homework assignment between the last show and this one. Yeah, and and I'm glad. it's That wasn't painful homework. It was a great film, and I want to say a couple of things about it. First, the characters in this were extremely, horribly real. Yeah, I mean, you've got the woman who hasn't dealt with the pain of losing her son yet, right? She oh, yeah. hasn't completely dealt with it. Mm-hmm. You've got a guy who's got all of these issues because he is a dwarf, and let's face it, he is a person, but he probably has been victim of a lot of having been made fun of in yeah, his life. Yeah, and they life. show some of that. They show some of that, but he has all the psychological baggage of mm-hmm. having had an entire lifetime of this, 30-odd years of that, yep. mixed with... Mixed the, with the third Bobby Cannavale, who's, Bobby who's this... Horrible extrovert, but he's the, he's the guy who sort of brings these two depressing characters to life. He, yeah. He sort of plays, I don't know, Yenta, I think it's the term. You're putting these two people together and, and, and uh, bringing all three of them together as friends. It's a wonderful triumvirate, really. Yeah. But to give some background, um, I don't think we have ever, have ever done this. I've What? The, done the, what? Talked about you know, the actual plot of it, you know, because we're talking about a, a dwarf and a and a, an emotionally stunted woman, <laughs> and Bobby Cannavale. Well, we, I've mentioned the Station Agent before as being yeah. a wonderful film that I would recommend to anyone to watch, to everyone to yeah. watch. But we haven't talked about the film yet. Yeah. In in summary, we have three characters, um, played by Peter Dinklage, who is he a plays, a dwarf. He plays um, Finbar McBride. McBride. Yeah. yeah. Finn. And what's what's essentially happened is he's he's lost a good friend. He works in this toy train shop, the Golden Spike, the Golden Spike, and um, the owner, I guess, and his good friend. They day in day out, they show a little bit of their routine. They go to the shop, they open up, they work, and then one day the owner dies. He just keels over right there on the floor of the store, <laughs> yeah, right after saying lunch, and then he keels over. Very tragic. Yeah, um, but he obviously he's hurt. He's stunned. But um, they show him he, he's left him a piece of property, which is a, a train station, a little outpost there. In Newfoundland? In Newfoundland, New Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah. And it was, it was, this was all handled by a lawyer played by that guy who used to be in... Um, uh, Mad About You. Mad About You. Yeah, yeah, their friend. I forget his name, but he's great. He's been in lawyer. everything. Yeah. He's a great character actor. Yep. So he gets this... That's, that's basically what's setting it up. He gets this, uh, this train station, this tiny little one-room train station. I think there's a bathroom in there. Um, so he he goes to this train station, essentially sets up there, and is going to live there, and then all these other characters come into play. So there's uh, Peter Dinklage, and then he he meets up with Bobby Cannavale, who is this, um, I believe he's Cuban. Um, he has a uh, a uh, hot dog stand right outside of that outpost. Frank's gorgeous Frank's. <laughs> Yes, I think that's what it was. Well, he's sitting in gorgeous for his Franks. dad. Gorgeous Franks. He's sitting yeah. in for his dad, who is apparently Gorgeous Frank, and his dad's right. been sick, so he's been doing the the duties of running this little portable hot dog stand in a he van. Has a truck, yeah. 
So he sets up out there, and um, and Finbar goes out and and meets him because he wants to get some coffee. Um, but he's a, a, a horrible extrovert. Jumps in. He he wants to know everything about this guy. He's constantly knocking on his door, and he wants to become friends with him. Um, and then the other crossing of paths, literally crossing of paths, is when Peter Dinklage is, is walking down the street because he doesn't drive. Um, he's almost run over once and then twice by Patricia Clarkson, who is playing Olivia. I can't remember her last name. Olivia, a painter, yeah. an artist. Painter, who's, artist, who's having some some marital problems. She, and, well, she's been separated for a yeah. while, and she hasn't yet dealt with the pain and, and, and anger that she feels about having lost a son a few years prior to this. You know, she's been avoiding it. She right. hasn't been dealing with it. Yeah, but I want Which, everyone to see this film, and so I'm not going to do anything more than just this setup. We've got... These three characters, they each have their own sort of way of being. Like all people do. Right. And and the reason why I'm saying this is horribly real is because it's quiet. It's a very quiet film. It starts from the very beginning, very quiet. Just like everyone's life is. You walk through, you go through life, you don't have all these... You go to work, you come home, right. you eat, you go to silences, work. Silences, 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 silences. And it's very, Our mundane very, very, routines. Yeah. Yep. And you see a little bit of, you know, the pain that he has to deal with being made fun of as being a, a dwarf. Mm-hmm. He just mm-hmm. goes through it every day. He's used to it, you know. But it still hurts. I mean, you don't, hurts. you don't get yeah. used to it. Right. I mean, he's, he's dealt with it and he's, he's not going to react to it. He's not going to get anywhere. He doesn't react to it, but you withdraw. That's right. right? So he's, he's very introverted. He wants to make no friends. He's, he's not very welcoming to people. But you can understand it because you see a little because bit of Because of his, his issue. Yeah, right. absolutely. Right. And it's the same thing with, you know, the... The um, Olivia's character, she comes in and, and you know a little bit about her. She's having trouble with, uh, well, she's separated. So she's in this, in a turmoil. And at one point she even says that she still wants him back. You know, she, she still loves him. And I think anyone who's been through a relationship knows about these things. You know, there are times when the relationships fall apart, but you're, you're stuck in that middle ground. You don't know whether you want to just let it go or you want it to come back. So she's in the midst of that. So she's right in it, and she's she doesn't know what to do. And she's also, of course, got the pile on where her son has died. Um, and then Bobby Cannavale is is the guy who puts these two people together. And he is, and as uh, Olivia says at one time, he sure he he really does love life. Yeah, he and, absolutely and loves life. In a nutshell, and he's outgoing. And I got to tell you, I would love to have three friends like these people to hang out with. Yeah, what an interesting group of people, and they seem so real. And it's just a, a heartwarming, wonderful, sweet film. You know, yeah. it's a tiny little indie film, but wow, what a what a blockbuster by what I would call movie making standards. Yeah. You know? And and they nail these characters. It's not like at any time you see these people acting. These people are these characters one hundred percent of the time. It's perfect. I think it's a great film and, and I don't think I've seen a better film in a long time. Well, as I said to John earlier. Prior to taping this show, there are two films that I've seen in the last two years that are in my top five or ten most beloved films of all time, and this is one of them. And the other film is Goodbye Lennon, which is John's homework (laughs) for next week. I think we're going to have this be a a recurring segment in our show where, well, right now Rich is the one doing the assigning, but uh, there's going to be a time when I'm going to assign him something, and then we'll talk about it. We'll yes. talk about it on the following show. Yeah. Goodbye, Lennon. You'll you'll probably hear me loving that one, too, because I trust Rich. And I just want to do a 13-second film review of the film I saw at Munson Williams Arts Institute on Friday. It's called Junebug. Hmm. 
I don't know how many vegetables. I've heard about that. How many carrots are we using for our rating system? Because I think you were doing out of five when you put four carrots on the website for the wine last yeah. week. But we should do a weird number. It can't be five. It can't be ten. It's got to be prime though. Eleven. I suggested eleven because it's a the number that Spinal Tamps amps went up to, and because it's prime. Yeah, but then it's going to make the whole initial rating way off. Well, I'm going to just make this rating out of eleven. Okay. So this this movie gets seven and a half carrots out of eleven. <laughs> You're already breaking it into a real number now. <laughs> All right, we've digressed. I won't talk about what the film's about. Maybe I'll talk about it a little bit more next week. But this is a very interesting film, and talk about real characters in an interesting slice of American life. Junebug, June check Bug. it out. Cool. I think I've heard of it. I don't know. Yeah, you probably have, because it's, uh, it's been uh, pretty critically acclaimed as of late. So anyway, we got nothing. And We're boy, long. this show is long. Holy cow, poor Rich has to edit this thing. Yeah, maybe Rich will take out some segments that you've never heard before. Uh, you won't even know, because they're going to be gone. It'll almost be like amnesia. That's right. We're out of here. He's so good at pushing the button that makes the klaxon sound. I'm like George Jetson. <laughs> da 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 my only job is to push a button. He's a restro. No, that's Sam upstairs. Jetson! Anyways, you have been listening to... Bloodthirsty Vegetarians, and I am your stereo left host, Rich Wilgus. Stereo right, John Tellerico. Check out the blog, www.bloodyveg.com. Feedback at bloodyveg.com send your rants and raves agreements disagreements audio feedback money aged cheese wine hopefully in the same package that's right and remember you're listening to VIB we'll see you next time <laughs>